Welcome to Meaningful Journeys, a podcast about pilgrimage. I'm Dr. Heather Warfield, and I am passionate about connecting humanity through our shared quests for meaning. In this podcast, I'll be talking with pilgrims and pilgrimage scholars. I will have conversations with people impacted by both ancient and contemporary pilgrimage journeys, and we will also hear from people who live at these sacred sites. This program is supported in part by Antioch University New England and the Meaningful Life Institute. I'm joined today by Edie Littlefield Sunby, who has written a book entitled The Mission Walker about her experience uh, walking the mission trail through California and Baja California. However, you would like to start uh, talking about your journey. Um, It seems like the pivotal moment for you was when you had uh, been given the information that you had stage four cancer and you realized that there was a lot of life that you wanted to live. And so part of part of that life was to set out on a very long walk on a historic uh, trail that connected the missions in, in California and Baja, California. Yes. Uh, you know, this, though, this was a this was not just a, a fast thing. It took me six and a half years to to work my way back to life through stage four cancer. It involved having 79 rounds of chemotherapy, over 830,000 milligrams to subdue this stage four gallbladder cancer. During this six years, I lost about 60% of my liver, uh, 10 inches of my colon, two inches of my stomach. I lost my right lung and also part of my throat. Uh, That's what stage four cancer does to you. Uh, It is like evil growing inside of you and you must uh, attack it with everything. Plus I had an enormous amount of radiation as well as the chemotherapy and the surgeries. Um, So it was a very long process and becoming very, very close to death. And actually many times in stage four cancer, you're you're closer to death than you are to life. And I think, you reach a point of stillness, if you will, uh, in the acceptance of that. Uh, Acceptance does not mean surrender. Acceptance means you deal with it because things are coming at you so fast and so furious and so violently. You learn to deal with it and and everything becomes very, uh, very, very real, very real. And, um, and, and I got through that, it took six, over six years, I got through that to the other side. And, uh, it, but it took the removal of my right lung, even though this was gallbladder cancer and adenocarcinoma, uh, the gallbladder, uh, often, you know, it, of course it migrates to all these other body parts, but I got through that. And I was so depleted physically, emotionally and spiritually at the end of that process. And that's really why I needed to walk. I needed to walk to restore wholeness. Had you heard about this particular mission walk uh, before the point of deciding to, to go on the pilgrimage yourself? This was not, Heather, a, a mission walk. 
the El Camino Real de las Californias, which is a 1600 mile old Jesuit and Franciscan trail uh, that started in uh, the year 1701 or 1697, uh, depending on how you want to date it, that started in Loreto, Mexico, and then it wind up through 1823 to north of San Francisco. So the Jesuits and the Franciscans, it was an old trail. And um, it, it's, it's never really been walked before. I don't think anyone's walked it in their entirety before I did. Um, so it's, it's not a, a pilgrimage trail per se. Now, there are a group of people now who are, are walking the pilgrimage trail from San Diego, the 21 missions to Sonoma. And, and there's a whole groups of them that are going out now. Uh, but at the time that I did this, which was 2013, uh, uh, there were uh, hardly, there was no one out there. I think I was the, the fourth person to do this. Uh, and, um, and anyway, but it was, it was a fabulous, and that's, the, I did that piece from San Diego to Sonoma, uh, and I did it six months after Stanford removed my right lung, and it was really to heal, uh, to, to restore my body, um, to pour out the clutter, to, um, to, to heal. Um, I believe the body's a healing machine, and it takes movement movement in order for body, the body to do its job. And so six months after Stanford removed my right lung, um, on the drive up to Stanford from San Diego, that 500 miles, I had uh, gone up old historic Highway 101, and, which was the old El Camino Real, more or less. And California has a mission bell every mile on that old historic highway. And I was not even aware of these mission bells until, until I drove up to Stanford to have my lung removed. And that was six years after fighting this, uh, this horrific disease. And as I was driving up with my husband, I, I wanted to hug every one of those bells because I was, I was so grateful, so intensely grateful to be alive and, and to, to at least have the opportunity to remove my lung uh, for extended life. So, so many people with stage four cancer, so many, in fact, most of the people I had met during the six, in the six and a half years, never got to that point where, that, uh, where they were blessed with a few more months or a few more years of life. So I was so grateful. And so after Stanford took out my right lung, after about five months, I set out on a cold rainy day in February from Mission San Diego and, uh, and, and walked uh, that 800 miles, 796 miles actually, from San Diego to Sonoma, north of San Francisco. I walked every day for 55 days and I averaged 15 miles a day. Uh, when I started to walk, I could not stop. I had so much healing. I had so much emotional clutter to pour out. I had so much pain and suffering in my body to, to deal with the healing of, of, the, of the space where my lung had been. The fact I was trying to breathe 
going up mountains uh, with just one lung. Uh, it was such a visceral, physical experience that was totally spiritually transcendent. And uh, about 400 miles, at about 400 miles, when all the aches started to go away, my blisters healed, my toenails that had fallen off had come back, my hips had gotten strong, my body had become strong. Uh, at about 400 miles, it started to become transcendent. At 600 miles, which was right around just south of San Francisco in a place called Carmel, Monterey, at that point, it be, I was soaring. I was no longer walking. I was, I I'd poured out the clutter and where all that clutter, all that pain, all that suffering had been, I was filled with joy. I was filled with, I can't even describe it. Um, it was, I was so filled with happiness, with joy. And when I got to Sonoma, after walking 796 miles, first my, my one lung was able to pretty much give me normal lung capacity because that's how the body does things. It, it had healed enough, uh, the, the surgery taking out the lung had healed enough and given my other lung enough, uh, enough energy to, uh, to take up the, the slack. So I was healed physically. But spiritually, I was, I was soaring, and I didn't want to stop. And, and people don't understand that, but when you're on a long walk, a pilgrimage, whenever you're out there, you do not want to ever stop. You become addicted to joy. You become addicted to life, to the visceral experience of life. And I always said, while alive, live, and we all die, but it's never, ever too late to live. Did you have an awareness about the power of walking and, and long walks before you went on this journey? Or was this something, uh, I mean, it's quite remarkable that you had a sense that it would bring this healing and transformation, uh, both physically and spiritually. And, and I'm curious what drew you to begin with uh, to this particular trail? Well, there's really two questions there, I think, Heather. One is uh, what drew me to the El Camino Real de las Californias. And I, the answer to that is very simple. It was there, and it uh, the the old mission trail. It was it was not really a trail per se. It's not like the Compostela in Spain, but it's a place that 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 provided a pilgrimage, and uh, a person. In fact, I was so uh, lucky to be able to walk with Ron Briary and his wife Sandy, and Ron had put a hiker's guide together just a few months before. And he had walked the Compostela in Spain six or five or six times, he and Sandy had. And he was actually going to walk from San Diego to Santa Barbara, that's 296 miles. And he was going to talk at a meeting of the American pilgrims of the, of the 
of the, of the American Pilgrims of the Camino, he was going to talk about trying to put a mission, get a mission trail together in California. This was a novel idea, all brought about by Ron Briery, Butch Briery, and of course his wife Sandy was, a, was an integral part of that. And so he had laid out on his kitchen table, and I wrote about this in the New York Times, he had laid out on his kitchen table uh, 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 some directions, a hiker's guide, if you will. And so, and it was, I had that and it was just, uh, it was very well done. It was, it, but it kind of gave you a sense of that this is possible. It's possible to go from Mission San Diego, you know, all the way to Mission Sonoma. It's possible because Ron had done it, Butch had done it. And, um, and, and he and Barb, he and his wife, Sandy, were walking to Santa Barbara. And I didn't know about this. I only had a few, a few weeks uh, to get ready to walk with them because I wanted to walk with them um, because that would give me the confidence that I could do this. And so, um, so Ron and Sandy and I walked from San Diego to Santa Barbara together. It took us 20 days of walking. And once we got to Santa Barbara, Sandy and Ron Browery stopped. And I still had another 500 miles to go. But at that time, I had the confidence because of what Butch and Sandy Browery had given me, the confidence that I could continue. And, and that's what walking is all about. Uh, you take one step that leads to the next step, and it's all about confidence. So once I did that 800 miles from San Diego to Sonoma, two years later, when cancer came back in my remaining lung, my left lung, Stanford radiated it. I was very lucky. It was one large tumor. We radiated it successfully, or so we thought. But how cancer is when it gets in the lungs is it can explode. Well, it can explode anywhere in the body. So when it came back two years later in my remaining lung, I knew what I needed to do. I needed to transcend that fear, that anxiety. I had to heal again, physically, emotionally, spiritually. I knew I needed to finish my mission walk. And lucky for me, the California Mission Trail does not start in San Diego. It starts in Mexico, down 800 miles south of the, the border in a place called Loreto, Mexico. Uh, and that's where I knew I needed to go. So I got on a plane in Tijuana, flew down to Loreto with just the promise of a pack mule for 10 days and the promise of a vaquero guide, a, a cowboy guide, a vaquero guide for five days. And, and that, was, that was good enough for me to set out from Mission Loreto along the spine of the, the Sierras of Mexico, along the old Jesuit trail, another 800 miles uh, to the border to San Diego. What types of experiences did you have during this period of time when you set out? The, 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 about a long walk. A long walk is not exercise. And, and to me, I, I never walked more than four miles. Um, and then a friend of mine who was a, a walker, uh, he, he and my husband, he went out 
and we walked seven miles. And this was when I found out that Butch and Sandy Briery were going to be walking to Santa Barbara and I could join them in the walk. And I was going with my goal to be to get all the way to Sonoma. But so I'd never walked. So I walked that seven miles and I did it successfully. And I've always said, if you can walk four miles or you can walk five miles, you can walk forever. And, and so no one sets out to walk 1600 miles because that's how far I walked. The El Camino Real de los Californias Mission Trail is 1,600 miles from Loreto, Mexico to Sonoma. And, and no one sets out to do that um, uh, unless you're a, uh, uh, an athlete or you're a you know, it's not like it, it's not a defined walk, not like the Appalachian Trail, not like the Pacific Crest Trail, like down in Mexico, it's roadless ranchos. There aren't any roads. The only way, the only way to traverse, the only way is with a mule or a donkey. And uh, and the vaqueros are the men and the women who live along the old Spanish trail in roadless ranchos. They don't even have, they can't even access their homes with a car. There are no roads, no, they can't get there with a truck. Oftentimes they do have a truck, but they have to take a mule across the mountain or across the, 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 uh, the canyons to get to a, a vehicle that would take them uh, to some place where they can, they can get out. But it's so wild. It is so remote and so wild. And, uh, and that's the experience. And so what that was, what that experience was like, Heather, was uncertainty on steroids. Um, every long walk is filled with uncertainty. Anytime you leave the comforts of home, anytime you leave the familiar. Um, and when I went and I walked that 800 miles through Mexico, I didn't really know much Spanish. I didn't have time to learn Spanish uh, because that's one thing you, you learn when you're confronted very viscerally with death through stage four cancer is we think we have all the time in the world when, when really we have, we don't. And if you want to do something, you do it. And, and I learned in life that we don't know we can do something until we do it. And I would never ever have thought about going down and trying to do this walk through Mexico, which no one had really actually ever done. I, I would never have even contemplated that had I not already walked the 800 miles from San Diego to Sonoma in an area where there was always food, there was always water, there was always a comfortable place to camp. Because uh, down in Mexico, you're talking about the wilderness the desert wilderness, and and that was uh, that was a different experience. Um, but I've always found that whenever we're the most vulnerable, and down there I was so totally vulnerable. I was a woman alone walking through Mexico. Um, and they knew that I was on a pilgrimage. They knew that I was there to heal from cancer. The word got out. And so uh, after about 20 or 30 miles, there was always another vaquero with a fresh mule, 
fresh tortillas um, that was there to, to guide me to the next 20 or 30 miles. Um, and of course I paid, I paid them uh, for, for, for the tortillas. I paid for their animals transport and I paid for, I paid for their time, uh, which was very, very modest. It's very, very poor in the Sierras, the desert Sierras of Mexico. I'd like to talk with you a little bit about healing and what that means for you. We, there are many ways that we talk about healing, uh, ranging from the absence of disease to being able to cope with disease to the mental health and well-being around disease and how we view it. And it sounds to me like you have a lot of very significant insights, having been to the brink uh, of, of life and death, that precipice. And when I hear you talk about healing, I'd like to hear more about the the healing that you encountered and what you think about healing, uh, the the word period. That's I think a great that's a great question, Heather. Healing to me is wholeness, and I can heal and still die uh, of cancer. Um, and one of the people I got very close to, uh, she had stage four. Uh, colon cancer. And, and our, we had a, the doctor, we shared Dr. George Fisher at Stanford Cancer Center. I got to know her. I was with her for four years. Every three weeks, we had our chemo together. And, and she was able to get through colon cancer, stage four colon cancer for oh, almost 10 years. And, and I remember the week we lost her is um, a our nurse, our nurse, our physician's assistant, Annie Johnson there at Stanford told me, she said, Edie, if you want to say goodbye, if you want to say goodbye to Joan, you need to call her now. And that was the first indication I had that she was in hospice and she was at the end of the journey. And I called her. The first thing that Joan told me, she said, Edie, I'm still smiling. Edie, I'm still smiling. And she was just a day or two away from death, but she was still smiling. She was spiritually whole and she had healed from the cancer. She had healed from the disease. She had healed, healed completely because she was whole. And that's one of the reasons I love to walk, Heather. The reason I love long walks, it's not exercise. No, no, no. It's a spiritual experience. Walking makes me whole. That's very profound. And even more profound coming from you who the walking itself is life it seems the the, in, the the movement of walking and being out in the the environment and with your thoughts and uh experiencing the the hospitality of other people you're vulnerable i mean it seems like the walking itself kept you alive oh yes yes actually you know back to why I was so 
I was so, I, I loved walking before I even started walking the old mission trail. Because when I was first diagnosed with stage four cancer and given just a few months to live because it was in eight organs, it was in eight organs at the time it was diagnosed, I realized that, um, that the only way I would make it through that was to keep moving. And, and so I, I, I developed this insight that if I can move, I am not sick. If I can move, I am not sick. And so when I get an infusion of chemotherapy at Stanford, I would have to move. I'd have to get on a plane and get back to my home in San Diego. Oftentimes I was there by myself because I went through this 79 times of the course of six years. But I would get home after this cancer, this chemotherapy, and I would drink an enormous amount of water. And I would go out and I would try within that first 48 hours after they give you chemo, you have, a, it's called a dextrose, a saline high because of the chemicals they mix the chemo with. It gives you a burst of energy that doesn't last very long. But during that burst of energy, I would get out and I would try to walk. I would walk and I'd try to drink the water. I would try to sweat it out. I wanted the, the chemo to come into me kill the cancer, and then purge it out before the chemo killed me. And so I walk and I walked to live. So if I can move, I am not sick. If I can move, if I can walk, neither am I afraid. Movement is a wonderful way to deal with fear and anxiety. And as long as we're moving, because walking is always moving forward, and walking is always in the present moment, you know, and you mentioned thinking thoughts when you're walking. The beautiful thing about a long walk is you stop thinking. You become truly mindful. You know, we think about mindfulness as focusing on breath or, or whatever, whatever, but, but true mindfulness is a purging of all thought. True mindfulness is being in the moment. And when you're out walking alone, you have to be attentive. You're, you become swivel-headed. You almost have eyes in the back of your head like an owl. You have to be because it's so visceral. When I was walking from San Diego to Sonoma, I was the least important person out there. I was out on the road. I had to be careful for 18 wheelers, trucks. I had to be careful for motorcycles. I had to be careful for bicycles. And you know, at, 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 uh, when I was walking through an area like, like Los Angeles or downtown San Francisco, crossing these intersections, I had to be very attentive. Uh, when I was walking in areas where there were just a lot of homeless and I was out there by myself, I had to be so attentive because there were potential dangers. Well, when I was in Mexico, the wildness of the desert was, was all around me. I had to be totally attentive. And when you're totally attentive, there's no time for thought. There's no time for fear. There's no time for anxiety. You're in the now and um, you are so, you're experiencing life, uh, life. And, and, and it's such a vivid, it's, it's so beautiful, and it's that experience that transcends us. Sex, uh, it transcends us spiritually. It's you're so alive. You're just vibrating with life. 
you see, when I walk, I vibrate. <laughs> All of life is vibration. And, and when you're out there, you feel that. I mean, things take on a different meaning. Birds actually, especially crows, actually talk to you. <laughs> and I know that sounds crazy, but I have had one time 30 miles, the same two crows followed me the whole way uh, when I was walking uh, in a remote section of the California Mission Trail. And I swear they were laughing at me, but and they would they would they would follow me and, and they'd come and they'd sit on the, the side of the road or in the tree branches and they would they would yeah and for, for 30 miles. And I developed this great communication with them, if you will. Uh, you know, I, I actually talked back to them and, and I, I agreed. It was wild and crazy and I, it was a laughable thing that I was doing. Uh, but, but those are the kind of moments you have. Uh, and like when I was in Mexico, uh, the angels I met, I mean, in these roadless ranchos, um, people who had nothing. I, I, I learned that when you have nothing, you're grateful for everything. Uh, you know, you have no water, you're grateful for a cup of water. When you have nothing, you're grateful for everything. And, and, um, and, and, and those who have nothing share everything. Uh, the, the, the people I met in the old, the old really small goat, uh, goat uh, ranches down in Mexico, uh, they would they would have just a small little propane burner and they would, they would light it hot water and, and make me a cup of coffee. Or they would scoot over when Maria Luisa, uh, it's who I remember so vividly. I came her rancho at five o'clock at night. It was pitch black because the desert turns black at night. And, and after fixing me some hot coffee and giving me some fresh tortillas, that night she slept on a, a, a plank of wood, bed made of planks of wood, propped up on concrete blocks. That night she scooted over and made room for me and my sleeping bag. She did not, she wanted me to be protected from all those creepy crawly things in the desert. But Maria Luisa, Luisa was an angel. And when we're the most vulnerable is when we meet the most angels. And, and angels actually find us. And I think that's when you're on a pilgrimage, you, you just have such a heightened sense of that. That, that when we're vulnerable is really, is really when we meet, when we meet angels. And, and um, because of that, we lose our fear of vulnerability. Uh, we, it's, it's trust. Trust is the lack of fear. And, and that's what you develop on a pilgrimage. That's what you develop on a long walk, especially through a wilderness area like Mexico is you give, you, give, you give up your fears to trust because you have to. And it's such a beautiful feeling. How has, uh, ha have your pilgrimages, um, because you've, you've done two, right? There have been two very long walks. Um, how have those changed your relationships with other people in your life? It was really one walk. It was just done in two different time frames. It was a one walk of the El Camino Real de los Californias Mission Trail, the 1600 mile Mission Trail. And I, I did it two years apart because of, I was dealing with active cancer 
I did the first piece after my lung was removed after six years of, of other surgeries and complications with stage four cancer. And then I did the last piece, the last 800 miles. So it was one walk. That was one walk. Um, even though and that's, that's how uh, pilgrimages are. They, they, they can come in segments. It doesn't have to be the whole time, the whole thing, but it's very purposeful. The, the El Camino Real de los California is 1600 miles. And, and, and uh, I was, that was, that, that was my Canterbury. That was my, that was my Mecca. That, that was my, that was my, that was my pilgrimage trail. Uh, and, and, and so once you do that, you are transformed. And how does it affect your relationship with others? I think that when you're doing this, you lose, you, you empty out all the clutter. And a lot of what you empty out on a very long walk is you empty out a lot of emotion. And in fact, during the whole process of dealing with stage four cancer, the only way that you're going to, to get through a lot of that is to let go of emotion. Uh, let go of emotion, let go of fear. Fear, fear, fear. Fear can hasten a disease's ability to kill us. Fear can, fear, fear, fear destroys life. Fear destroys life. And so, uh, and, and all those other things like anger, fear, anger, uh, despair, uh, all of those negative emotions. Uh, life is a healing process and, and, and it's a process of learning to let go of, e of negative emotions. And, and I will say that there's not a whole lot that I'm angry about today. I have not been angry with anyone or about anything for the last, you know, my, for years, there's just no anger. Uh, I've, I've not had any real despair, uh, even through coronavirus. Uh, I, I never let it, you see, I was more worried about not living than dying. Even with coronavirus, I got out. I, I, I got on airplanes <laughs> with one lung and I, I went to family reunion. You know, of course we did all the things that we needed to do with the social distancing, the mask and everything. I mean, I'm not trying not to be foolish <laughs> and, but I didn't want to stop living. I, to me, that's death. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, so how does it affect your relationship with others? Um, I, you'd have to ask them. You'd have to ask them. But one thing about illness, especially a, a stage four disease, a real serious illness, it's very narcissistic and, and you don't want it to be, but you can't help because you're so vulnerable, you're so helpless. But, and, and the people around you are affected by that because they really, they can't really do anything. And you can do something. You can try to deal with the nausea, the diarrhea, you can all the pain, the suffering, you can try to deal with that. But the people around you see you're suffering and they cannot, they cannot do anything. And it's worse on them than it is with, on you. It's harder on your caregivers than it is on you. And that is why so many caregivers, when they've lost someone, they go out and they do an old, their pilgrimage to heal because they need healing in, in, in the worst sort of way after 
dealing with with uh, with a, a loved one going through this. Um, and so what I I, I, I kind of have tried to do is I understand that all I want for the people I love, the only thing I want is for them to be happy, for them to be happy. And whatever that means, be happy. And I, and I believe that all they want of me is for me to be happy, me to be happy. So walking makes me happy. Long distance walking makes me happy. Crazy, wild adventure walking makes me happy. And I think it makes my family happy too. I don't want to be a burden on them. They don't want to be a burden on me. So we have to transcend our personal, our personal, I think, we have to transcend our personal challenges in such a way as to not be a burden on others, but also never ever to feel that we are not worthy of the beautiful life that God has gifted us with. We are worthy. And when we're out walking, when I'm out walking, um, I, I assume, I, tr I know I'm responsible for myself, 100% responsible for myself. And, and uh, like when I was in Mexico, the vaqueros in the desert Sierras, they never look back. If you, you have to keep up with them, they do not look back because they're not gonna lose their life because some crazy American gringa is on a pilgrimage in the, the, the cactus jungle of the, the, the Sierras of, of Mexico. No, you keep up. You pack your own bag. You pack, you're ready to get out on that mule at seven o'clock in the morning. You're totally responsible for yourself. And, and that's what I learned when I was walking with uh, Butch Briary and Sandy Briary. He left every day at seven o'clock when I was walking from San Diego to Sonoma. He left every day at seven. And you know, he didn't care if I was there at seven, he left at seven and I understood the rules. If I wanted to walk with Butch, I was there at seven, not 7.05. And if I wanted to walk with Butch and Sandy, no shortcuts, no shortcuts, because in life, there are no shortcuts. Okay. Um, and so I had just the most tremendous respect for him I had tremendous respect for the vaqueros in Mexico. I had tremendous respect for the women in the ranchos in Mexico. That if they gave me, if they gave me an old, old car seat to sleep in that night, I left a hundred pesos behind on that car seat when I left. If they gave me a tortilla, I left a hundred pesos behind. They didn't have to ask me. They wouldn't ask me, but you just, it's part of the responsibility. It's part of the understanding, the understanding that there's a price to be paid. <laughs> you pay the price. And, uh, and if you're willing to pay the price, um, whatever. And I paid the price, the price it took for me to heal from stage four cancer and losing all these body parts, all this radiation, all this chemotherapy, the price I had to pay was 
never stop walking. You mentioned uh, daily challenges with with food and uh, where you were going to sleep and uh, keeping up with the guides. Were there any other types of uh, unexpected challenges that you encountered and and how did you experience those? Heather, when you're on a long walk, when you're walking through the desert wilderness of Mexico, every moment of every day is an unexpected challenge. And you get, and to me, a stage four cancer is every day, every moment of the assault of that disease on your body is, is unexpected and unknown. And you learn to deal with it. You, you get almost comfortable with uncertainty. And, and so I had become quite comfortable with uncertainty. I am quite comfortable with uncertainty now. I've been through so much of it. And I think that what it does when you deal with uncertainty, this is how you empower. This is how you empower yourself is dealing with it. You know, and, 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 and dealing with life is how you empower yourself. And, and walking five, four miles is how you empower yourself to walk 10, is how you empower yourself to walk 100, is how you empower yourself to walk 1,000 miles. It's one step at a time. Life is one step at a time. But it's that, that powering, it's empowering. And, and so you deal with it in every day on a long walk, every day is uncertain. And in Mexico, water through the desert, you know, there, there, there are many times an entire week with no water, except what a mule could carry, what a donkey could carry. And, and uh, that was okay, because you knew that that one cup of water, that you, 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 it was too valuable to wash your face or wash your hands. Water was too valuable. And what you could do with one cup of water was absolutely astounding. And even to this day, back home, I cannot turn on the faucet and let the water run. It's like that water is the most valuable thing in the world. And, and that's what you understand when you're out there is that God has really provided for us the sun to keep us warm, uh, the, um, the, 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 the water, even, even water that is very, very, very scarce, water uh, to, to, to nourish us. I think that it's, we, we have too much. We have too much today. And it's that too much um, that causes so much stress. And that's why stage four cancer for me was not too stressful because I didn't have any choices. With, 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 with stage four widespread cancer, you have one choice, one choice only, and that's systemic chemo. Systemic chemo, that's the only thing they can do. They can't start cutting. Where do they start cutting? And they can't radiate it. There's too many places to radiate. You have one choice. That makes it so easy. And when you're on a pilgrimage and you have a trail like the El Camino Real de las Californias, it's, it's a trail. You know, the Compostela in Spain is a trail. And you don't, you don't fritter this way and fritter that way you stay on the trail. And, and like life, life, we stay on the path. We stay on the path. And, and our life today, there's so many distractions. It's like, and that is, we're not, 
we're not really wired for that. That causes enormous amount of anxiety, enormous amount of dis-ease. Um, and that's why I love walking. And like right now, my goal is to walk the elk is to walk the old Spanish trail, the old Spanish trail road, which goes from San Diego to St. Augustine, Florida, 2,718 miles. And, but I want to do it. I want to take a whole year doing it. And, and I want to, like, I've already walked from San Antonio to the uh, Louisiana border, 330 miles. I did that this summer. I'm getting ready to go out and do another piece of it. Uh, and I did that in 35 days. And, and when you're out there, you're connecting with people, you're connecting with places, but most importantly, you're connecting with God. And, and, and it's that trust, that trust in people. It's that trust in, in, in um, God. It's that trust that regardless of the uncertainties, regardless of the, the unknowns, regardless of the whatever, it's that trust that, um, that allows us to soar, allows us to transcend. Uh, because you see, Heather, fear is never in the moment, ever, ever, ever in the moment. Fear is in the mind. I would be really interested to hear more about your relationship or your spirituality with uh, how how you perceive God and how that has changed or become enhanced because of of both the cancer and the pilgrimage. To me, um, we experience God. It's possible to experience God. And we experience God every day. And anytime we feel joy, we're feeling God. Anytime we feel love is we're experiencing God. Uh, and and uh, someone said something to me, and I think maybe my mother did this a long time ago. My mother said, you know, there's nothing you can do that will make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do that will make God love you less. And I don't go out there to, um, to make God love me more. I don't, I go out there to feel God more, to, to feel the joy, to feel the love. And the people you meet, are absolutely amazing. The places you see are amazing. And the places, it's not just the place today. As you're walking, you're experiencing a place like it was experienced several hundred years ago. You're slowing life down as we get older or when we have a disease or when things start to fall apart, we want to put the pieces back together. We must slow life down to do that. And in our crazy ram, oh, the world today is just on warp speed. It's insane. It, walking slows it down. And that's why walking uh, is the closest thing we have to a miracle drug. It's the closest thing we have to 
a pathway to God. It's the closest thing we have to wholeness. Our two feet. And I thank the Lord every day that I have two feet and that God has given me this day and I can still walk. And, and it's not going to always be that way. You see, we're all mortal. We're all mortal. And, um, and, and so, but I have today, I'm alive today. I may be dead tomorrow, but I'm alive today. And, and today I choose, I choose, I decide, I decide today, this moment, I decide it. No one decides it for me. No one chooses it for me. I decide. And, 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 and that's freedom. That's a beautiful freedom. And, and to me, God, God is who I trust. And, uh, and uh, I've been through so many situations. I've been very close to God. I've been very close to death. I've been in emergency rooms. I've been in situations where my medical team thought it was the end. And, uh, and I always said, not yet. <laughs> you know, it's like Steve Jobs said at his wonderful, when he made this talk, he said, you know, we all want to die. We all want to go to heaven. We all want to go to heaven. We just don't want to die to get there. And, and there's a lot to be said for that. Well, um, you know, heaven can be here on earth too. Hell, hell can be here on earth. Uh, and, and I think that uh, if we just keep walking, if we just keep moving, if we just keep trusting, uh, in God, in people, in our country, in goodness. Just keep trusting. Um, we keep feeling and experiencing God. Well, you certainly em emanate this loveliness. You're so beautiful. And I mean, you really emanate vitality for people listening who who can't see Edie. She, I mean, she's just, she's just beautiful. Um, did you did you have the intent to write the Mission Walker when you started walking, or is this something that evolved as you walked? You, you, no, I didn't have an intent to to write anything. But you see, walking and writing are two sides of the same coin. Because when you're walking, you're ruminating, you all these thoughts, and things become so clear. Life becomes so clear to you because you're down to the essentials. I mean, you are down to the essentials because a lot of times, like I'm walking 100 miles with only what I can carry on my 22 pockets and my vest. You know, uh, it, you're, everything is so essential. Okay, so it's it's so basic, and and that allows these most amazing thoughts, these most amazing. Um, uh, 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 revelations, if you will, reflections. And so, and so um, when I was in Mexico, I would, I would use a little recorder at night for 15 minutes and I'd try to reca recapture what, the feeling, the learnings, what, I, what happened to me that day, because it was so vivid. I wanted to, and I knew I'd, the next day would be just as vivid and I'd forget if I didn't at least have a little uh, recording of it. And so when I walk now, I, I have a little recorder because as I'm, as I'm walking, I'm thinking. And so, and so all the, you know, when, and so that's just an, a writing is just a natural outflow from that. Well, no, I didn't intend to write the book and how that happened is um, I, I just happened to write um, when, and I'm not Catholic, um, but when, when St. Francis came to, 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 um, 
came to canonize Father Sarah, Junepra Sarah, who was the Franciscan who walked from Loreto, Mexico, all the way to San Diego, and then on to Monterey. Uh, it, when, when, uh, when, and that was in 2015, the Pope came to the National Cathedral, uh, the National Ca uh, Catholic Cathedral in Washington to canonize Father Sarah. I wrote, just wrote an, I wrote a short article and I sent it to the to the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and uh, the Wall Street Journal got back to you immediately and said, we wanted to publish this. We want to publish this. It was called The Walker and the Saint. And it was about my walk. Um, and at that time, I had not been down to Mexico because that's before cancer had actually come back into my left lung. But it was just about the San Diego to Sonoma. And so they published it. It was almost a full page, The Walker and the Saint. And, and, and uh, someone reached out to me and said, you know, you really should write a book about this. Uh, and I didn't even think about it because I was still fighting cancer. <laughs> you don't think about that. And so, uh, and so I, 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 and after that, I, I got, I went down to Mexico. I walked through Mexico, and at the end of that, um, someone came to me and said, "Okay, uh, Harper Collins would like to have you write a book." And they gave me ninety days to write the book. And, and as I read the book now, I think to myself, God, I wish I would have had more time. And that's how you feel when you're on a long walk. Oh, I wish I had more time to spend here. But you don't. You cannot linger. You cannot tarry at any place when you're on a long walk. And the same thing when you're like writing a book or the book will never get written. So HarperCollins gave me 90 days to write the book. And they gave me, I signed the contract on May the 24th of 2016. And they wanted the book written. Uh, because uh, by the end of August, and it just so happened that that was a three-month period when I was in between my cancer treatments at Stanford, and so uh, I, uh, my husband dropped me off in the desert in Palm Springs at a little casita, and I was all alone with all this Costco supply stuff, and then I used Amazon Fresh to deliver fresh milk in, in the desert. They get up there by six o'clock in the morning before it was 150 degrees outside. Anyway, but so I I wrote every day. Every day I wrote for 90 days. And I've always said this, if you walk every day for 60 days, you're going to walk a thousand miles. If you walk every day for 60 days, you're gonna walk a thousand miles. And I learned that if you write every day for 60 days, say 90 days, you will write a book, you will write 80,000 words. It will happen. One word at a time, you will have a book. Just like one step at a time, you will walk a 1,600-mile mission trail. One step at a time, one word at a time. And walking is a rhythm. Writing is the very same rhythm. That's why every writer was a a renowned walker. Dickens would walk 20 miles every single day. Stephen King has even been run over in Maine out walking because he walks. Everyone walks. All thinkers walk. Steve Jobs, was like, he walked all the time. He had meetings walking. Um, uh, and I think, I think that uh, walking and thinking and reflecting, it's just, it's just how we're wired. And, and, and it slows down. It slows us down in order to think in order to write. What has it been like for you to engage readers where people are now contacting you about your experiences 
and to know that your life and your uh, the the cancer diagnosis and the, and that set of experiences as uh, as well as the walking has now impacted other people. You know, Heaven, nothing gives me more joy than hearing from someone that's going through this and and for them to reach out. And, and I like it. I love it when they ask me a specific question, like, like, like Yidi, I'm having, I'm having severe, severe constipation. I'm having severe, you know, how do I get through this? Because I can really help on some of those really detailed things. But also I, I can help elevate them to 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 to, to just talk to them about, because I've been there. I, I know how scared they are. I never have the right words to say. I, I have no idea what to say. It's so overwhelming. I, I, I do know they're overwhelmed. And so I can just like, hopefully with my words, I can just wrap some love around them. And, and, and I always think of myself, I try to insulate myself emotionally. Sometimes I, I just try to imagine myself bubble wrapped. And, and if I can just help someone who's going through hell, if I can just help them bubble wrap uh, so that when you're going through hell, like Churchill said, keep going. And, and, and um, yeah, you know, so it gives me enormous pleasure to know that maybe, maybe my story in a small way has elevated, have, has allowed someone to soar, has allowed someone to have some hope uh, has, has helped them because the opposite of trust and hope is despair and fear. And, and it's so easy to get bogged down into that. I do, I, I can still feel myself starting to, to fall down into that and you have to get out of it. And it's people who help us get out of it. It's, 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 it's God who helps us get out of it. Um, but, but, and we, we can do that for each other. It's our love. It's our love. It's our, it's our joy that can elevate and help others, hopefully. When you were writing the book, who was the reader that you had in mind? Wow. <laughs> uh, you know, that's interesting. I, um, I can't say I had a reader in mind um, because, you know, to me, it was an adventure story. And it's interesting because to go back to choosing and, and life and, and, and I think I decided at a very early age in life, being raised on a cotton farm in Oklahoma, the next the youngest of 12 children, you learn all these things. You learn other things like who says so, you know, so you learn healthy skepticism. So when, someone says, hey, you've got cancer in eight organs, you've got, you know, you're going to only live a few months. Your response is, who says so? Because that's how you were as a, you know, snotty nosed little kid, who says so? But all of these things, healthy skepticism helps. Okay. And so, 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 um, so who am I writing this for? I, I think what I'm doing is I'm just, it's the perspective. I'm just laying out a perspective to life that, hey, who says so? And, and, and also, I decided at an early age that I decided that life is the greatest adventure there is. <laughs> Honest, when I was a little kid out on this old cotton farm, uh, just with fantasies and all, I had these crazy fantasies uh, and, and, and I had these great dreams and, and I knew life was an adventure. And, 
And, uh, and even today, life is the greatest adventure there is. And, and sometimes you have to do something really wild and crazy to soar above pain and suffering. Uh, and pain and suffering is, can be physical. Pain and suffering can be emotional. And pain and suffering can especially be spiritual. And you have to soar above it. And, and I've been so lucky in my life because God has given me the energy the, the two feet that allows me to walk and do wild and crazy things uh, to soar above uh, the pain and the suffering and to make life whole for me. And, um, and sometimes I think people just need, think, think, we know that, everybody knows that. Everything that's been written, by the way, has been written a thousand times before there's only about four or five storylines in all of humanity that have been written over and over and over and over again. So what makes mine different? Probably very little, but we have to tell these stories over and over and over again because we need it. We need remembering. We need the remembering that when things fall apart, when things fall apart, we need help to put the pieces back together. We need each other to put the pieces back together. We need God to help us put the pieces back together. And it's in putting the pieces back together is where all the mystery, all the joy, all the love of life is found. You have so much grit. Uh <laughs> I mean, it's so well said, uh, what you've just said. And I, it, I think that that's probably a great place to end. Uh, thank you so much for your time. You, I, I guess the, I do have one last question. I want to hear you, you mentioned you're getting ready to embark on the next leg of the pilgrimage. And I want to hear a little bit about where you're headed next. I wish I knew, Heather, <laughs> you know, because I think all the time, and how am I going to do this? You know, sometimes I think about just getting a little, a little baby stroller and putting my some uh, sleeping bag, enough stuff, about 20 pounds is all I need, and just taking off from, even from my back door and just starting to walk. I thought about that, and that's a pure walk, and I love that. Uh, but my, my husband also, he hates to walk, but he loves to bicycle. And so, um, so we've thought about, well, maybe, you know, a little camper van, or we had a cargo van, just a cargo van uh, walking in Texas. And he was able to work and everything, and, and well, I'm able to, to walk. And, um, uh, but anyway, you know, there's just so many ways to do things, and it's so fun. And Heather, I would love to walk with you. I would love to walk with you five miles, 10 miles, 20 oh. miles. And everybody out there in your audience, whenever I'm walking, and this is what's amazing, when I was walking in Texas, leaving San Antonio, there must have been 50 people walking. Okay, people love to walk. And when I got close to Houston, when I was in Sugarland, Rosenberg, uh, and those beautiful suburbs of, 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 of Houston, and even north of Houston, Dayton and Liberty, and, and getting close to the Louisiana border, people would come out and walk with me. And, and I would just, wow, 
wow. And, and I would learn so much. I would see the walk through their eyes. I would see this lovely place they lived through their eyes. And I would, and, and that's how we share humanity. And one thing I've learned about America, all this divisiveness doesn't really exist out there in the real world. You know, when we're out there and we're living day to day and we're sharing and uh, we're all the same, that's how I felt in Mexico. The hearts are the same. The vaqueros and the people who live on those roadless ranchos, our hearts are the same. They speak Spanish, I speak English, uh, you know, whatever. You know, the hearts are the same. And I think that that's what we feel on a pilgrimage is the heart is the same. We are of one heart, we, of one heart. And, and um, yeah, so walk with me, Heather. I would love that. <laughs> You, is there a way we can keep up somehow with where you're walking so people, if they wanted to walk with Edie, they could find you and get on the trail with you? Yeah, I do try to post on Facebook. By the way, social media is very, very stressful. Social media is so complicated, but it is a wonderful way to connect. It is. And so I do try to, although it's really hard to walk and keep you know, and also when you're walking out there, you don't necessarily want to know people to know exactly, exactly where you are, especially if you're sleeping in a culvert at night or you're sleeping close to a ditch at night, because there are bad characters. There are bad actors and and you don't want to do anything foolish. OK, so, but so but I usually post and and people can always reach out to me at email edie at the missionwalker.com or info at the missionwalker.com. And I try to be responsive, but, but keep in mind that you can't say, I'm going to meet you at two o'clock, you know, at this location. When you're walking, you have no freaking idea where you're going to be at two o'clock, okay? You, you, or which day you're going to be there at two o'clock. You know, everything is so real time. And, and so if someone wants to walk with you, they find you, they come and they find you and they walk with you. You know, it's like Thoreau reminded us. And I love Thoreau. He was one of the greatest walkers ever. He said, if you walk with someone, you wait until they're ready. If you walk alone, you leave now. And so Butch Briary and Sandy taught me, I'm leaving at seven o'clock this morning. I hope if you want to walk with me, you be there at seven o'clock. I'm leaving. And, and, and that was a wonderful experience to walk with them to that discipline, because you have to have discipline or you're never going to get there. And when you're out there, you got to find a place to eat. You got to find a place to sleep. Uh, those become the real, real things. Well, thank you. Uh, Edie's book is called The Mission Walker, and there she has a website of the same name, themissionwalker.com. Looks like you can connect with her also uh, on Facebook through the website, themissionwalker.com. And hopefully you'll gather up some walkers uh, who will want to journey along with you. And I hope, Heather, someday, I know you're not close to, to this area of the country, but hopefully someday our trails will connect. That would be wonderful. Thank you, Edie. Thank you. Thank you very much, Heather. Thank you for listening to Meaningful Journeys. This program is supported in part by Antioch University, New England and the Meaningful Life Institute. 
We would love to connect with you on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter, and Facebook, or by email, info at MeaningfulJourneys.net, or our website, www.MeaningfulJourneys.net. We hope you will join us next time on our shared quest for meaning as we connect humanity one step at a time.